Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. We want to welcome all of you that are here. And specifically, um, I want to welcome my parents. My parents are here. Amen. And I'm just blessed that they're here. And so this morning, as I segue into this this message, we're going to be talking about Yahweh. For those of you that are joining us for maybe the first time, we are in a series called The Names of God. And Yahweh is one of those names. Pastor Omar has preached several messages already in the series. For example, he preached on Jehovah Nisi, the God who protects. Also Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. How many know that God can heal? El Shaddai, God is all-powerful. But this morning, I want to talk about Yahweh. And what's, ex- what's interesting about Yahweh is God introduces himself as I am. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it says, And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers have sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. When you look at that, right, and you're not going to introduce, if you meet somebody for the first time, you're not going to introduce yourself as I am. Hey, how you doing? I'm John. Well, I am. That's a weird introduction, right? And so what God is telling him there is he's saying, for the first time, this is what God is telling Moses. This is the first time he uses the name Yahweh because I am means eh, yeah. I know that sounds kind of slang, right? But again, I don't speak this language, so just bear with me. But it's eh, yeah, E-H, right? Y-E-H, weird name. And so then you see, I'm glad they just did this right now. You could see Yahweh, right? It's missing an E and what seems like an A, right? A Yahweh. Like it's an incomplete word. But when you look at that, it's really because of the pronunciation that we get the word Yahweh and it comes from Eh-Yahweh. And so when they said that, when God said Yahweh, he is saying, I am. And he's also saying self-existing. And so when you think about that church, self-existing, how many of you have ever tried to tell people about God and they say, well, who created God? And they think they got you. Well, who created him? Right? All sassy. And so you're like, whoa, you got me there. Well, God already took care of that with this word. Yahweh, I am means existence to being, coming into existence. In other words, nothing has created God. He came into existence. I don't need to prove anything to you about that. He's already said it. Nobody created him. He was already there. In other words, God is the first God. He's the first cause of everything. He's the first cause of everything in your life. He's the first cause of anything that's on this earth. Yahweh. And so this morning, I want to pray. Will you just pray with me? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear your word. Father, we thank you that you're a God that is self-existing, that you're a God that sits on the throne. 
And we just honor you. We submit unto you and your goodness this morning. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So the interesting thing about God being self-existent is that what people like to do is, is they like to put it in a time frame. But God already did that as well. In his scripture, we learn in Revelations chapter 22, verse 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So now, not, not only do we have this self-existing God, but we also have it put into a time frame. We can now put God in this time frame that he's internal. He's the beginning and he's the end. So what does that mean? That means he's sovereign. So if he's self-existing, if he created everything, and then he was there from the beginning and the end, that means he, he brings sovereignty here on this earth. And it's not the same sovereignty that you're used to. Some of you probably have never heard of the word sovereignty, but sovereignty just means someone that's in control or supreme authority. This sovereignty is slightly different than the sovereignty that we've been introduced here on earth. See, if you go to England and you see the, the Queen of England, right? And you see uh, all these, throughout history, you see all these kings and all this royalty. God is even above that. He is sovereign beyond the state, beyond the federal government, beyond any country. He is sovereign above anything else on this earth because he's the beginning and he's the end. So that makes him sovereign. He was already existing. He created everything. He's eternal. And so that word sovereignty is a heavy word. It means even on this earth that people would die for somebody that is sovereign. How many know that people have died for this country or even for our president? This is the same type of thing. When we say sovereignty, we're thinking of God. That means we should live our life as if God is the most important thing in our life. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. In other words, you may understand that the president is authoritative, right? Or that a police officer has some authority over you and you believe that, but you don't believe that God is sovereign. You just know that the idea is, but it doesn't mean that you believe it. Because if you truly believed it, you would submit your whole life to God as the supreme being. The Bible gives declarations of sovereignty. I'm going to go through these quickly. I'm just warning the media team in advance. Number one, the Bible says this, is that he existed before anything else. In Psalms chapter 9, verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. The second one is that he created all things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I love that last part, for him. He sustains all things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 adds that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, God just doesn't create us and leave us. He's a sustaining God, amen? He is above all things. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 10, remember that 
what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago, yet and yet is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. God is not limited or restrained by anything, church. And then he knows all things. This is a scary one. You know the things that you keep secret? He knows all things in Psalms chapter 139, verse one. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So even before you want to cuss at that person on the traffic jam, God already knows you're going to do it. He knows all things. He knows who you are. He knows how you act. I love this. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as the teaching that all things come from and depend on God. There is a dependence that we should have, especially if he brings sovereignty into your life and you truly believe it and you practice it. You should be depending on God day in and day out for every decision that you make. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to remind you that God is the first cause of everything. He is the beginning and the end. God is so sovereign that he goes against the grain. I like this because our God is a little bit, he's not a little bit greater than us, he is very much greater than us, so much that we can't understand his complete sovereignty. We do not have the capacity. The word of God tells us that we fall short in understanding everything about him. He is so sovereign, and I love this. I say this quite a bit, and I'm gonna continue to say it. He is infinite, right, and we are finite. In other words, it is difficult for us to try to understand something that is infinite as a finite creature. That God is, is so much greater than we can ever imagine. You cannot predict God's sovereignty because you cannot comprehend his plan. A lot of the times we sit here, even in church, we're guilty of this, even me. I try, oh, what's, what are you up to, God? What are you doing? I wanna figure you out, man. God, what are you up to in my life? What are you doing in my life? What do you want me to do? God, am I in the right place at the right time? Right now? That's for you, Pastor Omar. I love you. But, you know, God, what am I going to do with my life? Is this part of your plan? What is your plan? Am I supposed to be here? Am I doing the right things? Am I supposed to be working this job you have me working? We begin to ask God all those things because we know that he is sovereign, but he is different. His sovereignty is nothing else as the earth has seen. His sovereignty is greater than we can ever plan it. We could predict what countries are gonna do, what presidents and rulers are gonna do here on this earth, but with God, you can't predict what he's gonna do. That's why when things go wrong, we're like, what the heck? Why is my life being turned upside down? Why did I lose that family member so suddenly? Why did I get a bad report from the doctor? It's because his ways are not our ways, church. We don't understand everything. And the problem with us is, I was talking to Pastor Isaac in the back room earlier, and I love what he said. He said, we're just too emotional. And that limits how we understand God. It limits everything that we try to understand God with. It limits that. Heck, even when we read the Bible, his word, sometimes it makes us cry. 
It's like, God, that's unfair. I'm just trying to have a good time tonight, and you, I decided to pick up your word, and I'm all jacked up now. What a beautiful God we serve. But another attribute, now these are attributes that I feel that make God sovereign. I just want you to bear with me this morning. This is the first point of my sermon if you're taking notes, that God is faithful even to the unfaithful. And that makes him sovereign. Well, you're probably like, well, how does that make him sovereign? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, no temptation is overtaking you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful. So he will not allow, to be te- he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. See, even when you put yourself in the most stickiest and dumbest situations, God is faithful. Faithful. He's going to give you a way out. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant. That means promise. And his faithfulness, his faithfulness to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, these are legacy promises. These, these are promises that are eternal. That's how sovereign he is. It's not a contract that is bound by time. God has given us promises that go beyond even your immediate family. They go for your children's children, your legacy, your whole last name, everything. Those promises are for everybody, even those that are not even born yet, that God is looking for people to serve him. That's how deep and sovereign he is because he is faithful to the unfaithful. How many of us have been unfaithful to God at times? I'll raise my hand so you feel more comfortable. No, I'm raising my hand because I have been unfaithful to God in my own personal life. Okay, and it is through that unfaithfulness that I found God. How does that work? Because he's sovereign. Because he's made a plan. Probably because he knew that I was going to do what I did. And he said, you know what? This is not going to go against my will or my plan for your life because I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Not even you can mess up your own life. I got you, brother. That's what God is telling me. One thing I've learned in studying God's word throughout the years and and teaching, and I'm so appreciative that I've been able to teach her at this church for so long. But one thing that I've learned, and and I thank God every day for his scriptures, is really that, that, that conquest of finding the promised land. And I've seen Israel just fail time after time. And I've said this before because it's one of my favorite things. It tells me a lot about how God loves humanity, even through, you know, the worst times These people, the Israelites, went through a tough time as they got out of Egypt and rescued, and God rescues them with a miracle, by the way, by splitting the Red Sea, right? And they go through it, and and the Egyptians get trapped in the Red Sea, and we learn this as children, some of us, but honestly, when you look at it, you see that God is performing miracle after miracle while they're in the dry desert, a desolate place that brings no life, is literally just littered with death. Think about the coldness at night. Think about the heat in the morning and in the afternoon, but yet they still have to travel. And when they traveled, they didn't just travel just walking in the desert like this. They're literally holding their church, their tabernacle, pieces of it, and their nomadic worship. In other words, they would set it up each time and worship God each night. They didn't have a place, but they knew and they had a promise that God was going to give them their own land of milk and honey. 
And so in Numbers chapter 13, I'm gonna paraphrase this for the sake of time. There's a moment where Moses decides to, to send in 12 spies into the land. They're right at the footsteps of the promised land, and Moses can feel it. So he sends 12 spies. Now there's two spies that go with them named Joshua and Caleb. And some of you may know this story. It's very powerful that they go into this land and they gather there and they're seeing every opposition of them not to take that land. However, there's a problem because God gave them this promise. Has God ever given you something and then like taken it away? At least you felt that way? That's a, that's a heavy feeling. I can only imagine as the 12 spies were sent in to the land of Canaan, that they see the land of milk and honey. This is what God has for us. This is it. We've made it after 40 years. And they were commanded there to stay there 40 days to spy it out. When they get there, they see that the land is filled with giants, opposition. In other words, they forget the promise. And they look at the opposition that clouds the promise. How many times we do that? We say, God, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm good enough. God, I know you have this job for me, but I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if, I, if, I, if, if this is something that you want me to have. I don't know, God. Like, I, I don't know. But God is saying, no, I have a promise for your life. And so as they, as they look at the land of Canaan and they spy it out, they realize that they, there's like giant grapes. I mean, there's vegetation. I mean, this is something they hadn't seen in so long. And they're there and they're like, this is beautiful, man, but you know what? How are we gonna be able to do this? Well, let's go back and give Moses the report. So they go back and give Moses the report. And 12, I'm sorry, 10 out of the 12 spies say this report. You know what, Moses? It's not looking good, man. There's giants in the land. We're not gonna be able to have this land. This isn't what God had for us. And the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb were the only two only two people that said, no, 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 no. This is the promise of God. We're supposed to take that land. And if you know anything about your history of the Bible, jo Joshua begins to take over. And he takes them into that land and they conquer it. And that is the land of milk and honey. See, when I think about it, it's an interesting thought that the Israelites, which I don't get, is they had this bad attitude the whole time. They turned their back on God. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Like, God, it's better for us to be slaves than to be out here in the desert. They tried to abandon Moses. They doubted him. They doubted the promised land, God's promises. They worshiped other gods in the meantime. And then they even cursed God as they were roaming the desert. And then God shows them the land of milk and honey. And all they can do is see the opposition and not recognize the power of God. It's the same thing in our own lives. We see miracles, and even when miracles are provided, it doesn't mean that you're gonna become more faithful. Some of us are looking for miracles all the time. And it's like, well, if you saw a miracle, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be more faithful. You have to serve God when there are no miracles. You have to serve God in the desert. You have to serve God when he's not active. Maybe he's silent and you're like, I still got to serve you. I'm talking to you every day, but I can't hear you. When are you going to come rescue me? When are you going to provide for my needs, God? God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm sovereign. You're not sovereign. I'm in control. You're not in control. You need to trust me. And it is like a child-parent relationship. 
Like, no, 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 you need, those of us that have kids, we understand, right? Especially when your kids become teenagers and they can talk back, right? And now everything's a discussion. So it's like, no, 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 not everything's a discussion here. You need to trust me. I know what I'm talking about. I know you're smart, but I know what I'm talking about. I'm smarter than you. I've been through this. I know where this is going. I know the deception that you have in your heart right now. And no, you're not going to do that. It's just that same relationship between a child and a parent. How do you know that our children, man, we need to pray for them. Because even though you tell them not to do something, they're still going to do it. Especially at teenagers. I did it too. My parents are here. They can, they can tell you. You tell them not to do something, they still do it. And, and you, it's like, and that's, that's the relationship that God has with us. Hey, don't do that. Oh, you know, God, that party looks pretty cool. You know, like, I want to go to that party because they got Modelo's and they have, they got carne asada grilling, you know, God. Those are the blessings you have for me, right, God? No. You're just compromising at that point, right? Check this out. I found this illustration, and it's, it's about Greenland, the country, right? It says, in the frigid waters around Greenland are countless icebergs. So I want you to picture this in your head, okay, church? These are countless icebergs in Greenland. Some are little, and then some are gigantic, if you observe them carefully, you'll notice that sometimes the small ice flows in one direction, while the other massive counterparts are the massive gigantic ones flow in another. So you have like this, almost like two different currents going in two different directions simultaneously, okay? This explanation is simple. The surface winds drive the little ones, whereas the, ma the huge masses of ice are carried along by deep ocean currents. When we face trials and tragedies, it's helpful to see our lives as being subject to two forces, surface winds and ocean currents. The winds represent everything changeable and unpredictable and distressing. But operating simultaneously with these gusts of another force, that's even more powerful. It is the sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purpose, the deep flow of his unchanging love. And the author of that is unknown. But I want to explain it to you. The bigger icebergs are only moved by the currents. We may have problems in life that represent the small icebergs that the surface winds begin to push around. And we go through problems week after week, some of us. We have to deal with trials week after week. But you have to understand that there is something greater than those surface winds. There is something heavier, something with more force. And that is the ocean current which represents God's sovereignty pushing things out of the way and giving you a purpose in your life. God can move things that you cannot even push. God is sovereign because he is true and faithful to himself. Even when there is unfaithfulness towards him, he still acts on his will, his faith, and his promises because not even you or me can change that. I always say this a lot, and, and sometimes it's a little cringy, but that's okay, I don't care. I say this, if I wanted to right now, I could take my 401k, my life savings, my wife's already laughing because she doesn't like this one, I could take my life savings, my 401k, everything I have, 
and I could run to Las Vegas and I could blow it all, just like the prodigal son, right? I could just blow it all, man. Lose my ministry, right? Probably won't be welcome back up here again, right? My wife probably end up leaving me or something, you know, because I'm being stupid, right? I just put, but then my relationship with God is probably then really fractured, right? I probably go through a difficult time. Who knows what I buy with the money? I'm not going to get into that, <laughs> right? But some of us are tempted in the same way. Uh, what if I just did this? I just did everything. I got everything I've earned. Do all the debauchery, everything I've wanted, just like the prodigal son, right? What if I did that? I love this because there's consequences to everything that you do. You can do that. God loves you enough where he's not gonna stop you. As a matter of fact, scripture tells us that God will give you into your desires if that's what you want. Think about that relationship. You wanna keep doing those things? You wanna keep blowing money on stupid things, drugs and alcohol and things that aren't gonna give you any spiritual advancement in life? If God is sovereign, that would mean a lot to you to protect your body from those things, those things that are harmful. And I'm not saying everyone in here is perfect. Nobody is. But what I am telling you is God's gonna allow you to go into debauchery if that's what you want. If you don't want him, he's so sovereign that he's gonna say, go ahead and do what you want. I hope you can love me later. So, and I say that just to remind you that our God is so sovereign is that he's given us free will. Through that sovereign process, he loves us that much where he says, you could do whatever you want. I'm so sovereign, it's not gonna change my plan at all. But I hope you love me in the end. The second point is his sovereignty brings comfort and restoration. This is a heavy one. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse one, it says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whenever, wherever he wills. In other words, God can affect those that are thinking about things and that those are in power, God can shift the mindset of any human being. That's why we pray for our president. We pray for those in, in, in high positions, maybe even our bosses or our board members at our job or whatever. We need to pray for them because God can shift humanity in ways that we don't understand. I want to remind you of Job. And the Bible says he had everything. As a matter of fact, he was like rich and he had like seven sons and three daughters. He was wealthy. He had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. How many wish we had that? I'm just kidding. Don't lift your hand. But he had a lot of necessities. He had everything he needed. He was a great man of faith. He would consecrate his kids and bless them with prayer every single day. So Satan then asks God, and there's this conversation that Satan has with God, and he says this in Job chapter 1 verse 6. He says, one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Where have you come from, said the Lord to Satan, from roaming through the earth, he replied, and walking back and forth in it? Let's stop there. Isn't that a little creepy? So Satan, they're having a conversation. A bunch of guys get together. Satan's among them with God. And God's like, Satan, what are you doing over there? Oh, you know me, uh, nothing. I'm just roaming back and forth in the earth. Well, that's creepy, right? That's like a meme or something like that. Like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing much. Just roaming back and forth from the earth. Oh, that's a real trustworthy person, right? Of course God knows what Satan is doing. Why was he even asking? Because he's sovereign, amen? 
Verse eight, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one on earth like him, a man who is blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. Satan answered the Lord, does does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not placed a hedge on every side around him and his household and all that he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in land. But stretch out your hand and strike all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, said the Lord to Satan. Everything he has is in your hands, but you must not lay a hand on the man himself. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So God allows Satan to do whatever he wanted to Job because he's in control. He is sovereign. But this is what's unfortunate about Job. And just for the sake of time, I might skip through this just a little bit. But Job begins to lose all his children and his possessions. The Bible says that his sons and daughters were struck down, lost his children. So Job begins to weep. And as Satan is just battering Job left and right, In this storm, he loses all his possessions, his children, everything. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. In other words, Job understood that God was sovereign. That's why these bad things are happening. In other words, he's not going to go try to get more wealth or anything like that. He just begins to pray and to worship God, even though he's just lost everything. For the next 35 chapters in the book of Job, Job is then having dialogue with God. But it's one-way dialogue. For 35 chapters, Job begins to cry out to God and he's just telling him, what are you doing to me? And through those 35 chapters, there's times where he's wavering, then there's times where he's worshiping, and then there's times where he's wavering again and he's doubting God's sovereignty, but yet he's still fighting on, trying to understand that he needs to have faith. He's still holding on to God's sovereignty. How many times do we pray and we experience silence? We ask God for questions. We pummel him with so many questions. And this is what Job did. And it wasn't until chapter 38, God finally speaks. And he says this in verse, uh, or chapter 38, verse one, he says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, listen to this church, who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belt on your waist like a man. And I shall ask you, and you inform me? Where are you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? On On where its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or, or who enclosed the sea with doors when it went from the womb bursting forth, when I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bands, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, as far as this point you shall come, but no farther, and here your proud waves shall stop. In other words, he's saying, Job, don't forget who I am. I set the boundaries of this earth. I set the tone. This is my world. You just live in it. Tighten your belt. 
Some of you look at that and are like, why, why is God so mean? Shouldn't it be like a fairy and just, you know, be nice? Where's the rainbow at, God? Noah, you know, you, you gave us that covenant. Where's, God, shouldn't you be nice? And one thing I've learned is favor isn't always fair. And the other thing I've learned in life, and this is not really scriptural, is fair is not something you always want to hear. See, we have our own understanding of what fair is. But what God is saying, don't forget who I am, Job. I love what he says. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Sometimes God is telling you that. Who are you to say what I'm gonna do? Who are you to say that I'm in the wrong? and, And it's like, you just feel it. It's like, this is the world we live in where... We probably look at this, and, and, and anyone that doesn't understand God and his character, you probably look at that verse, and you're probably thinking, well, God sounds so mean. I don't want to serve him. This world gotten real soft. Because when you really think about it, that's tough love. We have a value in this church, truth and grace. When you walk into the hallway, you'll see a plaque about truth and grace. You're welcome to read it in the hallway as you leave today. But we like to have truthful conversations in this church. We do it with grace. But we call out sin. And what, honestly, what God's calling out is Job's sin right there. Why are you doubting me? Why on earth would you even doubt me for a second? I said, and I told the water to stop at this point. I set the world in its spin. I'm the one that created it. Then Job says this, In Job 40, verse four, behold, I am insignificant. What can I say in response to you? I put my hand on my mouth. The Bible literally says that, that Job does this. If I heard from God, I'd probably be scared. Right, if I hear his audible voice, what did I do? You know what that is when you do this? It's shame, it's shame. It's shame, you put your hand over your mouth, it's shame. You're like, "Oh oh my God, what did I just do? And then finally, when he had heard God out, Job then responds with resignation and confession. And he humbles himself. And he says this in Job 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. Who is this who conceals advice without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Please listen and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of, of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and repent, sitting on dust and ashes. In other words, you win. You're good, God. You win. You're correct. Everything that you've put into place, and it's because we have to remember that his ways are not our ways, church. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In the end, Job's possessions become restored, but not just restored in the way you thought. Everything comes back to Job because of the understanding that he gained that God was in control and that he is sovereign. And it's because of Job's example, we understand how important it is for us to understand God's sovereignty because there's reward when we are faithful. Look what happens here in Job chapter 42, verse 10. I'm gonna read this quickly. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. 
when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after all this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations, and Job died an old man, but full of his days." And it's because when you recognize, church, the sovereignty of God, that it doesn't matter if you lose everything, you remain faithful because he can provide comfort when no one else can. He has all the answers to bring restoration to your life. The last thing I want to remind you is God is sovereign because he brings redemption. One thing I love about my God, Yahweh, is he's a gentleman. What do I mean by that? He's a gentleman. You want to do what you want to do? Go ahead. But he's a gentleman. He's going to wait for you. He'll wait for you even until your last breath. See, God made something called provenient grace. Salvation. Grace is eternal. In other words, provenient grace means it's grace for things that are, or, that are going to happen. In other words, you haven't messed up yet, but there's grace waiting for you. That's a God of sovereignty. It's eternal. It doesn't need to be activated. It's there. The forgiveness is already waiting for you. It's already activated for things that you haven't even done yet. But it's already there. That, is, that can only be done by a sovereign God. Nothing else can do that. In other words, he's already giving you that grace. He's already giving you that comfort. You need to just go to him and recognize it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift, by his grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. One thing I love about my God is he's a gentleman and he wants to increase our spiritual love for him. He wants to be with you. He wants to hear you. He wants your problems. How many want other people's problems? Not me. That's not my job. If that's what you're thinking, it's not. It's not the pastor's job. Nobody wants somebody else's problems because we already have our own problems. But God is saying, bring your problems to me. And he's confident about it. He's saying, bring your problems to me because I have the answers to those problems and I can get rid of them just like that. It's not an inconvenience to me is what God is saying. What God is displaying, no problem that you have is an inconvenience to God. It's just an inconvenience to you and it brings separation from you and God. But God is saying, I can get rid of that in an instant. I have the power. I set the world in motion. Tighten your belt. Act like a man or a woman of God. God began to work on me when I started to read his word. It wasn't a bunch of sermons, though I love Pastor Omar's sermons and they helped me tremendously through my life. What started to really help me is when I fell in love with the word of God. It wasn't the college education I have, 
that I went to Bible school, nothing like that. It was me reading God's word. And you know what God's word is like? It's like a mirror. When I look at a mirror, I want you to think about yourself when you look at a mirror. Some of you may avoid the mirror. I know it's a little funny, right? But it's, it could be truth here. You may avoid the mirror because when you look at it, you start to see the wrinkles on your face. When you look at it, you start to look at yourself and you examine yourself and you realize you're not who you think you are. You start to see different things about yourself and you examine yourself and you can only, like even me, I don't even want to look at myself sometimes, right? It's not like I'm a, a model or anything, right? Or maybe you are a model and you look at that mirror and you look at it constantly to make sure you're perfect, right? You're looking at it to make sure everything's situated correctly, right? And so you look at a mirror and the mirror will either tell you good things or bad things about yourself, right? Like, oh, okay, my makeup looks good today, right? Or there's that flaw, let me cover it up. But the mirror highlights it. It begins to show you things that you may not want to see. If you stare at it long enough, you begin to look at yourself internally. The Word of God is like a mirror. When you start to open it and you start to read it, it starts to show you things about yourself you didn't know about. And the, the funny thing is, the word's not even talking about you. The context is not talking about you. But this is what makes Yahweh so great, is that when you read his word, he begins to speak to you. The Bible is a living text. There's no other text that is living. The reason why we say that is because the Holy Spirit comes right out of this thing if you give it an opportunity to. You give the... You give him the opportunity to speak to you. You give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to speak to you. He's going to speak to you when you're reading God's word. It's not a sermon that's going to change your life. It's a relationship. I'm not sovereign. Though I've worked on this passage or this message for a very long time, I'm not sovereign. I can't even help you. Only God can. And yourself. If you could just open up his word and say, God, I want your Holy Spirit to speak to me. This is the best mirror you can have because it's not showing you what's on the surface. It's showing you on what's inside of you. And you know what? You're probably here like, you know, I read God's word. I read about Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and all these bad things about people. Yeah, it may not be speaking to you directly, but you're going to learn a lot from it. You learn a lot from people's mistakes. And the Bible highlights that. That's what I love about God's word is it tells the truth. And it tells the truth even to me about myself. It's a living text, church. Only a sovereign God can write something like that. I love when people say, well, the Bible was written by man. Why am I going to read that? Well, what would you want it written by? A, a donkey? Who's going to write it? You want God to write it? If God wrote it himself, you still wouldn't believe it. God created us so that we can worship him, so that we can understand his sovereignty, so that when we can go through this life, we can count on him. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through things in life that we don't have a complete understanding of. But Yahweh is a sovereign God. And let me tell you something about Yahweh. When you say Yahweh, do you know what that means? That actually means the God of the Bible. 
There's no other religion that's gonna use the word Yahweh. Do you wanna know why? Because Yahweh directly links to Jesus. It's the foundation of Christianity. So no one other than a Christian or God's word is going to mention Yahweh. So when you hear different ideologies out in the world, you make sure it's coming from the holy book, Yahweh, because that's the one true God I serve. It means the God of existence. It's, it means the God that is going to create things. It's the God that Job had a conversation with. It's that God. It's the God that set the world in motion. And so church, I wanna just read this last passage to you because I'm running out of time. There was this, I'm just gonna read the whole thing. Luke chapter nine, verse 37. This is, this is a, a story of Jesus healing someone, but look what happens here in Luke chapter nine, verse 37. On the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted saying, teacher, I beg you to look at my son because he is my only son. And the spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams and throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. And I, be I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not cast it out. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and, you and, and put up with you? But then Jesus says, bring your son here. Now, while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was still, was astonished at all that he was doing, he said to, the, to his disciples, as for you, let these words sink into your ears for the son of man is going to be handed over to men. I wanna highlight just one thing for you on this. Jesus knows your lack of faith. But even though you have lack of faith, you maybe don't do the first thing and worship God or even come to him in times of prayer or need, he still wants to perform a miracle for you. When he said, oh, how long is this generation gonna lack? And then he says, bring your son here. Bring him here. And boom, he heals him instantly. Even through your unfaithfulness, church, he is so sovereign because he brings salvation to the undeserved. But through his sovereignty, he still wants to love you and redeem you. If you would just bow your heads with me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.